Hi, I'm Bob Dearden, one of the writers for Cobra Kai, and we are talking about episode 405, Match Point, on Cobra Kai Companion Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And you guys, today we have a, a newish writer, at least new for us. We've never spoken with Bob before, but joining us is Bob Dearden. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I mean, if we want to get right into it, why haven't we spoken before, Peter? What took you so long? Hey, you, I, you know what? It's so funny because I was given your email like a long time ago, too. Um, right. It's just it's just one of those things like the very first person... I've ever met that's part of the crew, even before Hayden uh, down in Atlanta was a uh, Tiffany who works in sound. I, I believe yeah. she mics up people. And I told her I want to speak to her as well. Like I want to speak to everybody. It, it's just a matter of like getting hold of people and scheduling. And, you know, we spoke before recording. I have 500 kids, you know, and so yeah. it's a little difficult. I get it. I assume there was some anti-Canadian sentiment, but it's nice to know that that allegedly that's not part of the deal here. Well, you know, it's definitely not the Canadian thing, but however, we have, yeah. we actually have some ties. Um, we'll get to it, but you attended UT? I did, yeah. Yeah, and I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas, so that's like, that makes us like neighbors, kind of. I have some extended family down there, actually, so we Is that right? Yeah. Well, we, we have a family restaurant, so maybe we can link up and, and send, send them that way, you know. Let's do it. Um, and, and you actually have appeared on at least two of my buddies' podcasts. I, I just found this out today, too, trying to do a little bit of research, but uh, one of which, it's funny enough, I believe your interview was literally two months before Cobra Kai premiered in 2018 it was with uh, chris revel of the let's chat podcast i oh, believe yeah. it was for iZombie. so yeah. um that's pretty wild because because uh he we were part of a network called core 10 parts and i was covering cobra kai on tv8 my brain at the time and oh, so okay. yeah, yeah, yeah so so it's uh it's kind of crazy you know that yeah. we have that connection well, there cross-pollinating in the uh tv show recap podcast world yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I kind of mentioned uh, iZombie, but that's that's not where you started. And and actually, before you even became a writer, you spent some time supervising like, a, like some sort of tree planting camp. Like uh, yeah, you, you mentioned yeah. Canada. Yeah. What was that about? Exactly right. It was well, it's a job that a lot of people do as a, you know, summer job in university or a job that in your early 20s, if you want to be a ski bum or travel or just haven't figured out life yet. It's a good way to make some money in a short period of time. So I started when I was in college, first couple summers, and then, you know, had ideas of going to film school or something like that, but was in debt and also just a little, you know, directionless and didn't really want to do anything. Um, so I ended up going back to that job and just kind of expanding it over the course of the next, you know, 10 or 12 years into more of a full-time gig and a, a bit of a, you know, accidental first career before I finally, you know, got my act together and decided to pursue the, you know, the whole film and TV writing thing um, in earnest. But I was in my early thirties by the time that, you know, that bell rung inside my head or whatever. So uh, I got a bit of a late start, but um, it just turns out that I'm exceptionally talented. So, uh, you know, 
iZombie happened, then Cobra Kai, and uh, the sky's the limit from here. I'm positive. Yeah, I mean, those are two um, great shows. I, I, I didn't get into iZombie, unfortunately. I think around that time, I was probably watching, like, you know, you're Breaking Bad and Game of right. Thrones and things like that. And, and with kids, it, it's, a very, it's very difficult to try to squeeze in time for, for things. And so, like, I, I'm glad Cobra Kai, you know, it's roughly 30-minute uh, episodes, you know, so those are kind of easy to, to squeeze in during family time. Um, right. so, so did you, were you always into, like, creative writing, like, like in school before... Uh-huh. I was a theater major when I was in uh, my undergrad years, which was another sort of accident. I started uh, school in majoring in sciences and thinking just of following that sort of a path and getting into, you know, medicine or something thereabouts. But it was as, as I the amount of thought I just put into it was the amount of thought I put into it back then, too. So it wasn't like a, a hard direction I was taking. And I got to university and kind of just dicked around my first year and, and made nothing of it and then ended up switching into theater on a bit of a whim. But, you know, it, it kind of activated, I guess, the part of me that was always interested in not so much theater, but certainly film and TV. And I angled myself a little more toward, you know, the writing side of things. It wasn't a writing program per se, but there was opportunities within it to at least, you know, try your hand at writing and directing in, in sort of small ways here and there and did a couple of things on stage, but was not good at it. Um, and I knew it and everyone else knew it. So, you know, no harm, no foul, but, um, that's what sort of sparked the interest in maybe doing a graduate degree in, in film or something like that. It just sort of, like I said, fell by the wayside as I got deeper and deeper into that other job. And, um, you know, it was a bit of a black hole that I just kept coming back to a lot longer than I originally anticipated or intended. Um, but finally, you know, came back around to the other interest and, um, it's just, it's been like kind of a lifelong undercurrent, but not something I ever pursued in earnest until, you know, I got to the point in my other job where it was like, everyone here is 22 and I'm 32 and maybe it's time to go. Uh, uh, now was it, um, like some sort of writing competition uh, at UT that kind of led you to being Um, on some production assistant? Not exactly, but there was, um, they have the Austin Film Festival there, which has a associated conference that's very writer centric. And so there's a, you know, a bunch of the who's who of Hollywood writers that would come to Austin for the week and do all these panels and stuff. And so they, they do have a competition as well, which I entered and, you know, got a little boost of confidence from like getting to like second or third rounds, but didn't win anything. Um, so clearly, you know, there's some sort of a, a gap in, uh, you know, in the, the assessments there, but, um, I uh, I saw Rob Thomas speak at one of these things and he was actually moderating another panel because he was an Austin local and he was on panels himself, but he was living in Austin at the time and he was from that area originally. Um, and I went to see a, a guy named Hart Hansen, who was a, a Canadian, um, you know, television showrunner until he moved to the States and he did like Bones, you might know, um, that was his show. He's done a bunch of stuff, but Anyway, I read his name in the program and there was these Canadian credits after it. I'm like, I'm going to go check this guy out. And then I saw Rob talk and he mentioned that, you know, he was still living and working in Austin and stuff like that. Uh, And then a few months later, the Film Fest did a, um, you know, a a spring uh, event, I guess, where they had Rob screen the the. The, the show Party Down um, originally was pitched around town with a pilot that they shot, which is very similar to the pilot that ended up airing on Stars. 
but instead of trying to shop like a pitch or a script, they actually just, you know, put in their own money and shot the pilot. And that's what he was airing, you know, with the Q&A afterward and got more into his story of like what he was, you know, what he was doing and how how it worked being based in Austin and still working out of Hollywood. And at the same time, I was trying to figure out how to fulfill an internship uh, course requirement for my program. And so I just reached out to the festival and they connected me with him. And, uh, you know, not knowing at all what it was going to be, I just said, hey, do you want an intern, whatever that might mean to you? And he said, that'd be great. And uh, and so during my second year at UT, we would just meet like two or three times a week for a couple hours. And it was an amazingly instructive experience because it was like having, it was almost like being in a writer's room, except without all the other writers, which is in some ways kind of better than being in a writer's room with all the writers. But I got to see like just how his process worked. And he let me listen to calls with, you know, his agent and network executives and studio people. And and so it was just this like immersive education in, in what that career would be like. Um, And also I learned, you know, a ton about, how to actually turn a, you know, an idea into something that looks more like a story into something that looks more like a script and all that. So one thing led to another from there. And I ended up uh, moving to LA that summer to work on the Veronica Mars movie as a production assistant, and then strung together a few other, you know, assistant type jobs over the rest of that year. And then that's when iZombie pilot went into production. So I, I got hired again as his assistant there and, and ended up being their writer's assistant and so on and so forth. So it was all like a, a lot of very, you know, fortunate circumstances and right time, right place, uh, mostly for him, because I think he benefited more than I did. But, you know, I uh, I got some uh, some juice out of it, too. You, you mentioned, um, you know, starting off as a, a production assistant, like I, I do. Ha- I have heard uh, stories of that where they become a writer. Is that pretty common, would you say? In my limited experience, it, it has been. Um, it's a you know, it's a it's a great introduction without the pressure of having to deliver to be in a writer's room and be around writers as a, as a show is being broken episode to episode. Um, and my job was uh, writer's assistant, which meant I was in the room with them basically uh, as a, um, you know, a typist taking notes and writing down everything everyone says like a court stenographer, but to be immersed in those conversations and privy to all of that, as well as like all the ancillary stuff, like the departmental meetings and all the calls with people, like you're just around as a a TV show is being made and there's no, there's no better way. There's no other way to really understand how that all works. So the advantage is, first of all, you get to know everybody on a level that, you know, makes them maybe a little more open to reading your material or considering you for a writing job than if you were to just sort of cold call or, you know, have an agent send a script or whatever, um, because a huge part of the job is just how everyone interacts in this, you know, in this collective environment all day, every day. And as much as talent matters or, you know, your creative imagination or your, your ability to write a script, um, I think a, a factor of a certain degree is definitely, you know, do I want to spend my Monday to Friday, nine to five with this person or these people? So, you know, it gives you a a foot in the door and then you also get to see, you know, all the documents that go in from the the one or two page initial ones sometimes to like bigger outlines to the script and then the revisions. So you you learn by osmosis in a way. Um, So, yeah, I've seen at least, I don't know, a half dozen, maybe 10 people in my couple of jobs that have started as an assistant or a support staff member on some level and then worked their way up and eventually got like, in my case, I got what's called a freelance script, which meant I wasn't on staff, but I got to write one of the episodes of the first season of iZombie. 
um, and then got promoted to staff right of the year after. So it can be different paths from, you know, in different cases, but uh, I've seen a lot of people, you know, make their way up through that, that conduit more so than I've ever seen anyone starting from scratch and just like blowing somebody away with their, you know, with their uh, sample script or whatever. It's amazing. Um, now, I kind of mentioned like some of our connections. I forgot to kind of give a shout out to Robin Burge, who is host right. of the uh, Credit Kid Minute. And um, I I believe maybe it was a year ago, at least or maybe two years when you uh, appeared on his uh, podcast to um, talk about Cobra Kai. And uh, if I remember correctly, I believe it was one of the guys that spoke with Rob Thomas uh, about, yeah. about you being pitched as a uh, a new writer. Yeah, they um I'd seen Rob a couple weeks before and we were I think we were supposed to watch a game of some sort like a UT football game or something like that and um on the home screen of his television was the last stuff he'd watched which was Cobra Kai and at that point season 1 had been out for almost a year but season 2 wasn't wasn't out yet. And he said, "Have you seen this?" And I said, "No, I don't have YouTube. Is it any good?" And he's like, "It's great. We're going to watch the pilot right now." And then we ended up watching five episodes and not watching the game just because we were both <laughs> loving it so much. And for him, it was you know second or third time around. But we uh, we finally cut it off after the you know the school fight, the cafeteria fight uh, in one hundred and five. And so I, when I got home, I subscribed and I watched the rest of the the first season. And then uh, two weeks later, the second season came out. And so we were talking about it. And then separately, he had, I think, reached out. I'm not sure if this story is 100% accurate, but whatever. Uh, I think he'd reached out to John, Josh and Hayden, just like kind of as a fan slash fellow showrunner. I guess when you're at that level, that's what you do. You just call each other to, you know, make dates. Uh, and so they're having dinner or whatever. And he said, you know, I don't know if you're looking for somebody at the, you know, mid staff level or whatever, but there's a guy on the show I just finished who, you know, I enjoyed working with on that show, but I think he'd be really good for your show as well. Cause that's right up his alley. Um, I don't know if you, you have an opening and they were like, in fact we do. And we start shortly. So send them in and just went in for an interview. And as I recall, like, didn't, didn't you know say anything uh spectacular that blew them away um so i didn't know what was going to happen and then at the end of the interview they said do you have any questions and i was like well i kind of want to ask if if elizabeth shoe is coming back for season three but i also don't want to know and they're like well you're gonna you're gonna know if you get hired and i was like well, i don't want to you know get too far ahead of myself but um i think at that point maybe they were just like good enough let's hire them you know it, sa- it saved them doing any more interviews so Kind of back settle on you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, uh, forgive me. I don't have it up in front of me, but uh, what were the episodes? You did two in season three? Was it yeah, four or three? My, and... my name was on two of them. It was five and ten. But, oh, you know, uh, three, three, three oh five and three ten. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Like okay. I was mixing it up with season four. Um, I've done three oh five. So, so you did Miyagi Do. And you would know the titles better than I do, but that sounds right. I believe me, Yagido and 310. I'm oh my goodness, all the listeners are gonna be like, What the hell, Peter? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on that. No, but because I I, uh, I remember when we spoke with uh, Michael, um, we were kind of talking about like the you know, like the sense of resolution or whatever it was, and he's like, No, I think that was on Bob's, and you know, so 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 you were 310, oh, yeah. 12, uh, 12 19, right, or December 19th. December that's 19th. the title. That's, that's right. the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of funny. And with the uh, three ten and four hundred five match point, you um, both of those episodes kind of pick up immediately. 
like right after something happened from the previous episode, which a, a, a lot of times those episodes do. But um, for being like new to a show in, in the third season and your episode comes in at, at uh, uh, season five, how, were there any challenges co- kind of coming into this world that was already established, though, you know, like the characters were from the Credit Kid movies, which uh, I, I, I believe you were a, a fan of at least the first movie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was just like I was, I think, six or seven years old when that came out. So, you know, it was impossible not to be a fan of of that at that time. Uh, and it was huge, obviously. And it was, you know, spawned Halloween costumes and it was in the the zeitgeist, if I'm using that word right. So, uh, yeah, I was I was big into it. Definitely saw the second when it came out and, and love that one as well. I don't know if I saw the third one at the time, but I certainly watched it a number of times after getting hired, uh, as well as the fourth, which I'd never seen before. So it, you know, got a little intensive with the research there, but um, it, it, to answer your initial question, I mean, it was a little bit daunting to come into something that I was like a big fan of. Plus uh, I'd been five years with the same people, more or less like a little bit of turnover, but certainly the same people running things. And it got pretty comfortable. Um, and it was also a dog friendly office. So, you know, it was like, uh, it just hit all the marks for me. So that was great. And then coming into a new environment, you know, you never know what you're going to get, but the guys and all the other writers were super welcoming. So, um, you know, it was a easy transition that way, I guess, from like the, I don't know, social side of things. It was definitely scary to see, you know, my name next on the, on the board for the next episode, which originally was actually supposed to be episode 306. And the guys were going to write 305 and then just a, you know, a bunch of other stuff got dumped on their plate. So they, asked if I would mind, uh, or if I, if I would like to write the, uh, you know, mid season finale. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, but it was a, you know, it was, it was proposed or it was presented to me as like, this is a big episode. So, you know, we want to make sure we nail it. Um, and I'm thinking, I, I hope you do too, uh, after I handed my draft, but it worked out and they, you know, they didn't hate it and, um, ended up getting the, the season finale for similar reasons. Like, you know, there was, the writers that were on the episodes before that were still writing those episodes. So I was available and the guys I think had intended to write the finale again as they had in previous seasons, but they, uh, you know, they were already in prep for the season and that's a whole nother ball of wax. So both of those kind of just fell to me. And then of course, you know, it's a collaborative process with everybody to break the story. And there's a bunch of stages after I hand in or any writer hands in their draft where other writers and the showrunners, you know, make tweaks and, all that stuff. So I get my name on it, which is great. But, uh, you know, ultimately it's a, it's a, it's the work of a bunch of people at the same time. Now the, the episode 305, it does, um, kind of reintroduce some legacy characters, obviously, uh, how much input did, uh, UG and Tamlin, um, have maybe towards the script, um, it being your first one. Uh, well, this is hearsay for me because I wasn't um, privy to production or some of the conversations prior, but um, I think generally speaking, uh, I can say that the guys are like pretty open as far as having any of the actors, uh, you know, especially ones who played these characters before uh, contribute to how the character is going to be depicted 35 years later. So I know there's a lot of, a lot of discussion with UG about what's chosen up to nowadays, like what's his vibe. Um, and a lot of the stuff that you see in that episode, I think, came from him directly. Um, and when we were talking about it in the room, you know, there was a lot of different ideas thrown around and we, we landed on something sort of temporarily. Um, but then 
with further collaboration and, and further review, I guess, you know, we ended up coming to the, you know, the consensus of what you ended up seeing in, in uh, season three. Um, and some of that was certainly like, you know, conducted as they were, you know, as they met in person in Atlanta and stuff like that, which is in our case after the room had broken. Um, so is, you know, it's, it's, I think it's one of the more on the spectrum of like how much input actors have. I think we're pretty far. Cobra Kai is pretty far in the end of like, let's just get everyone's ideas and best one wins sort of thing. Um, Tamlin, I wasn't privy to a whole lot of that discussion, but I do know that, you know, she uh, has some sort of ties to Okinawa. I'm not sure if she was born there herself or her family's from there or something, but I, I know there was a lot of input on the the episode prior plus episode five in terms of, you know, what that world would look like in, uh, 2019 whenever whatever actual calendar year that was meant to take place in i believe 20 oh gosh yeah no, no that's too far back I, I believe it was still 2018 maybe 2019 now oh wait daniel's birthday was coming up so that 2018 oh my goodness yeah, anyway yes, <laughs> i'm yeah. a little rusty obviously uh yeah. let, let's uh okay well let, let's talk about um I'm trying to think if there's anything from 1219. Well, what about the uh, the the big fight? What what were do you remember what kind of like bullet points you were given um for the the big fight between Chris, Daniel and Johnny in 12, uh December 19th? Yeah, uh let me ask you first. Um is this a, a podcast on which al- alcoholic beverages are allowed? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Whatever you want, you know. It, yeah. If, if you even go beyond beverages, that's absolutely fine too. They calm me down a bit, you know. <laughs> Oh, oh that's pretty good. That's pretty I good. I planned you know, that whole prop thing and I screwed it up. You know, no, it, it, it looked good from, from my point here. For for the people that are listening at home, Bob just did the, the beer cap uh, flick. So very, very cool. uh, look, um, look at the YouTube clip for that. College age me is so disappointed in how that turned out. But cheers. Thanks for having me yeah, on. Cheers. No, no, absolutely. Coors Banquet too. Very fitting. Gotta have it. Yeah. You know, when I, I'll... I'll get back to your question in a second. But when I first, um, it was one of my first days in the room in season three, I asked how the whole Coors Banquet thing came about, if it was like a product placement or whatever. And uh, John said, no, we just thought like, what is, you know, a beer guy like Johnny would drink, you know, that none of us would was the implication, but a guy like Johnny would. Meanwhile, that was what was in my fridge at home. So that was a solid indication of, you know, which uh, social strata we were occupying compared to each other. (laughs) <laughs> but um, to your question, the fight at the dojo, um, and I'll say this is, you know, probably applies to most of the fights. Like we always try to break it to a point, you know, and and that point is all the things that matter story-wise or character-wise. When it gets down to the martial arts of it all, we have zero expertise collectively. Um, so, you know, we have an amazing stunt team that obviously handles all that stuff. So what we try to present to them, and there are stages to it as well, you know, there's the first draft, then there's feedback from them. And then we, you know, we might change some things, but ultimately we just try to give them, you know, the character beats that matter most to us. And if there's any sort of, um, you know, changes in fighting style, for instance, Johnny using a bit of Daniel's Miyagi-Do and vice versa in their fight in 405, like things like that we'll mention, but we don't know what to call anything. We don't, you know, I'll I'll probably get too elaborate in my first drafts trying to figure out each move and stuff, just because I like imagining all that, you know, all the, all the different uh, punches and counters and kicks and whatnot. 
but I don't know anything about martial arts and, uh, and neither does anyone else in our writer's room. So it's um, uh, apologies to anyone if I'm, if I'm misstating that, but that's my feeling anyway. So you, you just try to map it out as best you can. And then, uh, you know, Ken and Don take over and do their thing. And it always looks amazing. Um, and then if anyone else asks, I take credit for it. Now, um, in that same episode, we uh, have some closures, you know, between legacy characters uh, with Allie and Daniel, Allie and Johnny. Uh, can you talk about uh, writing some of that dialogue? Yeah, well, I mean, Allie, I, I couldn't have been more excited that I got the chance to write some words that she was going to say, um, just because, you know, uh, same sort of thing. Like when she was first making her mark in in movies, I was the perfect age to like, be babysat by her in adventures and babysitting and stuff like that. And just couldn't love her more. Um, and, and certainly as the alley character as well. So that was exciting. And originally it was, I don't know if the guys have ever talked about this with you, but originally we thought we might only have her for that final episode. So the date with Johnny, and it was a much, it was just the lunch part of the date. It wasn't the whole golf and stuff part. Um, so that was all contained in 10 plus the, the country club thing. And they made, you know, the, the correct choice, um, in the aftermath, I think, to try and make sure they had her for two full episodes. Cause if you're going to bring Allie back, you should, you know, certainly spend as much time with her as important as that character is to both, you know, Daniel and, and Johnny, uh, you know, as much, uh, sort of material as we can mine from that, I think is, is to the betterment of the show. So ended up being that the initial part of their reunion uh, landed in nine and then in 10 was still the, you know, the country club business. And there was a couple of passages in there that I think were, were what I wrote in my first draft. So it was a huge kick to see, you know, her saying those things on camera as Allie Mills. Um, and it was, a, it was a huge discussion that whole year because it had been teased so much, you know, in seasons one and two, and then the cliffhanger with Johnny's phone and the friend request being accepted and all that uh, at the end of two really suggested strongly that we were going to see her in three. And uh, I know there's a whole process with any actor of, you know, whether whether or not you're going to sign them to a deal and, and all that stuff. But uh, even before that was solidified, when that was all in progress, it was a good chunk of the season long arc discussion of uh, of that writer's room. Yeah, I, I remember because we had that incredible lull between seasons two and three with the the move to Netflix, and that that was the thing that everybody was talking about. Oh, Elizabeth Shue will be back in season three, and I heard it so much, I got I got uh, uh, rumor fatigue, and right. and at some point I was like, you know what, I don't want her back now. You know, like you guys are like not making it fun for me, and so that little um, using the, our expectations against us, and I believe episode three or three, whenever Johnny was at the hospital and sees the doctor from behind giving me that at least i was like oh thank god they didn't do it so when we see yeah. her in 309 i was like oh my god they actually brought her back and and at that point like i had already released all of that you know the the uh frustrations from like everybody in the fandom saying that she was going to be back and so so i got a, a little bit of a clean slate and and my mind was blown and and just seeing her it was amazing and i completely forgot that like at some point i, I didn't even want her back but uh, i really did enjoy her explaining her side of the story from from what uh, we heard daniel's side in the, the beginning of uh, credit kit 2. Mm -hmm. so with 405 match point again like you pick up um where 404 left off as Terry Silver and Crease walk into the backyard and you mentioned you know you, you don't remember really watching 
three too much, right? When you were a little bit younger. Not as a kid, yeah. Yeah, not as a kid. Now, funny thing, this is jumping a little bit ahead, so I'll, I'll kind of wait. I'm sure I'll remember. But uh, what, what was it like for, I mean, Terry Silver is like this really um, larger than life uh, character, very classic, iconic. Um, what was it like writing for him in, in his return in this season? Yeah, I mean, I loved it because, um, you know, in the beginning of the season, he's a different man, right? And uh, and that was all a lot of fun, I thought, <clears throat> to see him sort of um, having course corrected from a certain perspective and, and left all that nonsense behind. But, you know, around five, he starts, you can see him turning back a little bit, you know, he's still trying to hang on to this uh, somewhat uh, skewed but idealistic view of what you know, his contribution to Cobra Kai can be and, and what him and Kreese can can turn it into, which was sort of their original vision before it all got, you know, bastardized. Um, but by five, you see the signs, I think that, oh, okay, he's still in there. And that's always more fun for me to write, you know, the little bit of, uh, of evil creeping in. Um, and when a lot of evil creeps in, that's a lot of fun to write as well. So I had a good time with it. And, um, you know, Thomas is such a, a good actor, especially for both sides of that coin that uh, it was a, you know, not, not having followed his career since then. And, and at that time, uh, cause I wasn't on set for season four. So I hadn't met him yet at that point. Um, but just to see like what he turned all that into was pretty cool. I mean, that's always pretty cool when you write something and, you know, when something's on the page, it's just like when you get a text message and you can't tell if someone's being sarcastic or whatever. When you see something on the page, you have no idea how it's going to be delivered and executed. And when you have, you know, actors that that care a lot and have a lot of talent, uh, you know, to go with that, it, it always gets um, like there's there's always a, a little bit extra infused into what you had imagined in the best case scenario. Um, and he's one of those guys for sure where everything was just a little just a little tastier. Um, you know, coming out of his mouth. So it was a weird way to phrase that, but uh, I stand by it. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally get it. Uh, I, I feel like there's um, maybe not a huge divide in the fandom when we talk about that particular scene, but can you talk about Terry's headspace and whether he was genuine about his apology to Daniel? Uh, well, let me, let me give you a broader answer on that type of question. I, my feeling is, and I, I don't know that anyone else shares this that's involved with the show, but my feeling is whatever you see on screen is all that's definitely true or canon. And whatever anyone's interpretation is beyond that, if it's not explicitly stated, I think is valid. You know, that's the great thing about, uh, you know, stories in general is every, every person consuming a given story is going to add themselves to it. So I wouldn't want to say definitively one way or the other, because it is left ambiguous, I think, in the way, you know, it's presented. Um, what, I, what I would say my personal takeaway is, is that he wants to believe that he's deep down a good man and has good intentions. Um, but there is a, a, you know, a little devil on his shoulder that he, he silenced for, uh, you know, a, a portion of his life through, yoga and tofu skewers but it's always there and as soon as crease comes back it's like you know a jolt of energy to that devil to get a little volume in his voice again yeah. yoga that's that's really funny i immediately imagine like that um 
that's that's still from season one where Johnny is like stretching with like the the women from like the yoga class, right. you know, uh, which I, I don't think made it on the show, but we've seen that image of Billy stretched out on a mat, uh, yeah. which was pretty pretty funny. Yeah, um, it didn't. There, hurt there's they were all they were all very attractive women, if I recall. I maybe it's uh, I don't remember the last time I saw season one to be honest with you not often do I go back uh and when like a new season comes out I kind of jump around a little bit like right. you know if I think that I need to reference a, a previous episode sometimes I'll go back and listen to one of my reviews in case I I don't get a chance to watch them at home but couldn't tell you um the uh, there, there's a line that that I'm really curious about. Uh, if if you remember, if you wrote it or if somebody pitched it, hey, you should say this. But um, I really love the part where uh, Kreese points out to Johnny, like, oh, well, you know, the sign outside says Miyagi Do, and then he tells him that, uh, well, you know, you better go after your bridge partner before I take the right. sign and cram it up your ass. Yeah, yeah. I generally speaking, my recollection is that um, Hayden had some strong thoughts about how that that scene that exchange should play out. And I can't remember how it happened, but there was originally some other like old person joke um, besides bridge partner that wasn't working for the guys. So we ended up switching to that. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say um, I'm going to stick it sideways up your ass was all me. Okay. All right. That, 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 like that really. Thing to say. I, I don't I don't think that's getting enough love, you know, like I, I think so much is going on in, in that scene. But like I that, that's one of my favorite lines from that episode. Nice. Well, then it was definitely me. Yeah. OK, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, just trying to pull up my notes here. I also see the guys are kind of tweeting right now. So I'm trying to avoid that and not get distracted. <laughs> um, I hope it's about this. I told them I was coming on and I got oh, that right on, on what to say about them, which I'm not going to follow. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh oh, the bar scene. So I thought it was really interesting that um, and you know, I don't think anybody was surprised that okay, finally Daniel gets to tell somebody and it's Johnny about the events of the Karate Kid 3. But obviously, the only thing that he re- he heard was like, Oh, you were advanced to the final round right here after that we fought. <laughs> uh, can you talk about that scene and also Johnny's um, the first F bomb of the season? Yeah, well, I can tell you the F-bomb um, wasn't in the script, but I think on set, like as they were shooting, they uh, decided to add that in, which was perfect. And I wish I'd thought of it first. Um, but the the spirit of like Johnny being in this bar that's not his type of bar and just kind of hating it all, um, I think was always there from the story break. You know, the idea that they don't go to Applebee's or like one of his dive spots. They go to one of Daniel's preferred spots, you know, just as far as the power dynamic goes and the comedy it gave us. I think that was always the intent. Um, and then I've forgotten the first part of your question. What was it again? Um, let's see. Oh, Barnes, Daniel. Oh, getting... yeah, the story. Yeah, just just being right. in advance, obviously. Yeah, again, like it probably came up in the room in some way, but I, I do remember feeling strongly that that should be a point of emphasis because it was so absurd that that was the rule change in, in Karate Kid 3. Um, and if anyone was going to finally mention it, it should be the, the guy who didn't get that opportunity previously. Um, and it is bullshit. I mean, I, I never, yeah. you know, karate'd. Uh, in my youth, but I played a lot of sports that had tournaments and that's not a thing. It's never been a thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it felt nice to call that out and, and to have Johnny be the one who highlights it, you know, and it, it yeah. just worked nicely because of course, Daniel's like, 
that's your takeaway. Like, that's not the point. Stay with me here, you know? Right, right. Um, I mean, at the very least, he did probably listen to everything up until that point, just didn't process it after like, well, wait, that's that's not fair, you know? Yeah. And so that that, that kind of leads him down this uh, thought process of like, well, that so, so you're not a two-time champ. Like, you know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm a real two-time champ. Like, I actually fought more rounds than you did. So, yeah. so I could see his frustration. And I think that F-bomb was earned, you know. Um, I do this thing that after the end of every episode review, I try to pick a line that I thought was really funny. And I throw it at the end when I when I end the episode. And that was my line. Shut the fuck up. Beat it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought this was really great. Yeah, I love the delivery too because there's not really a pause between shut the fuck up and beat it. It's all it's all one sentence. And um, yeah. yeah, Billy Billy comes up with some great line readings. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um we're we're back at the high school and um I I like the the, the little nods to the karate kid. Uh now was it your insertion of the uh weeks? How many weeks is weeks? You know that uh, by by uh Hawk? Yeah, I mean We've started a trend where I'm just taking credit for stuff that I don't know for sure. So let's just keep it going. Um, I think it was, I mean, I've always loved, I've always loved, you know, Daniel as a, uh, you know, as, as a fast talking, charming, flirtatious high school kid in the original movie. I think that's one of the, the sort of, um, I don't know, under, underreported elements of why that movie worked is this kid talks like he's, you know, a 35 year old Don Juan, but he's a 16 year old teenager in a new town. He's just got that, that New Jersey patter going, uh, you know, and it works to a certain extent. Um, and I can also see why it pisses people like Johnny off. Um, so I've always loved that, you know, that, uh, that storyline, I guess the whole, like him trying to figure out how to win over Allie. Um, and so that I, you know, I think that line was just kind of, randomly popping into my head as as we were looking at the uh the hawk moon information so yeah i think i i, I think it's all right if i take credit for it why not yeah I, I do forget that you guys do have these cards and kind of like move them around as necessary. So there was probably a card saying that like, this is probably a good point where we need to kind of like work on moon and Jacob or Jacob um, moon and Hawks relationship again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's always like, I don't know if you've seen pictures and stuff, but there's different colors coded for each, you know, storyline to give an episode and then you just try to mix and match so that there's a, a balance to them. Um, and yes, we, that was, you know, one of the things it was actually in the initial story break, it was even a, a bigger, uh, storyline. There's just, there's always a condensing, right. When you go from, excuse me, too much course banquet. Um, when you, uh, when you go from like your dream of everything we can fit into this episode to the reality of everything you have time to shoot and can afford to, you know, to produce for a given episode. So it was, it was thinned down a bit, but it was certainly, it felt like it was time to, you know get back to that as, as Hawk was continuing to evolve. Um, and it does feel like to me in certain ways, you know, the beautiful thing I think about how the, the show began was that it positioned certain characters on the surface as, you know, the, the modern contemporaries of people in the original movie. And then it kind of subverts and mixes and matches. And so you see that there's like, there's a universal universality to that high school experience where, the bully can also feel like they are being bullied. And um, in, in the case of Hawk, you know, there's, I think a, a fair bit of overlap, even though 
in the beginning, like Miguel is clearly the Daniel of the show, right? But I, you see a lot of Karate Kid one Daniel in in Jacob's performance as Hawk and, and Eli, I think. And and so once he's, you know, got a romantic storyline, to me the the parallels with uh with Allie are sometimes even greater than the parallels with, you know, Miguel and Sam and, and Miguel and Tori and, you know, all that other business. That's really interesting. Um, also, in this episode, we get probably, you know, some of the funniest moments uh, with the do, uh, Johnny's really tw- Twitter rant. Episodes. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, the, the Twitter rant. Like, can you talk about the um, yeah. c- w- when that idea broke? Uh, it's hard to remember exactly, but, you know, certainly there's always, um, you know, an impulse to get back to Johnny as, uh, technologically inept just because that's such a, a core character element that brought so much comedy from the get go. And it's, his delivery is always fantastic. Like it's just so dry and, um, you know, perfect because it's not only that he doesn't understand current technology, it's like, he doesn't give a shit about it. Um, so we did go back and forth quite a bit about like, why would Johnny have Twitter? But in the end settled on, I think a, a nice kind of middle ground where he has it, but he doesn't know how to use it. And he's only got one follower. And yet at the same time decides that this is, this is the platform from which he's going to broadcast, you know, this epic rematch that's about to happen. So it was, it was certainly like a topic of debate as to whether like, does it make any sense that a guy who's that tech averse would be on Twitter at all? But to me, the fact that he made the leap to Facebook, you know, that's a gateway drug anyway. Um, so as long as we held it back so that, he, you know, he's not proficient at Twitter, um, I think it still works. And and it's it's always nice to see the, the characters that are much more familiar because they've grown up knowing nothing else, um, you know, kind of uh, giving the the critical feedback of, of Johnny's lack of skill in that area. I feel like... Um... He's using it kind of like ask ask Jeeves, like you yeah. know for for anyone that remembers that because like one of his tweets is it something like how does this work? So so he actually typed how does this work and then hit send. You know, <laughs> so, so he's I guess he was expecting a response from Twitter, right. uh, which was pretty funny. Um, yeah, well, I, like this... my, my parents that think the the voice of the navigation in their car is an actual human that's on the phone somewhere telling you which way to go. Um, now also you get the, um, the Epic Johnny's Badass mixtape volume four, the, the, right. the montage. What, what is it? Um, what, what's the process like, I guess, for writing a montage Are everyone just kind of pitching like different sequences or do you actually get to kind of write, write out like, these are the ideas I have of what Johnny should be doing? Uh, certainly there's a, a shit ton of ideas that come out beforehand, especially with stuff like that, where it's just like, there's no wrong answer. I mean, you could make Johnny do a million different things and it's all going to work. But, um, in that case, like the, uh, and obviously, you know, there's a um, discussion in the writer's room about any of this stuff, like about the music we pick and about the, you know, the fight choreography and all that stuff. And then there's who, whoever's department that is, um, who then weighs in and, you know, makes everything better than, than whatever we thought of. Um, and if I recall in that case, uh, the song I'd been pitching since the day I showed up, just because I always, you know, uh, among the people in the room, probably myself and Hayden are the biggest Rocky fans, but you can see that there's a lot of, you know, Rocky references and uh, homages throughout the course of the series. Um, so that makes sense, but just the lyrics always felt 
so perfect for, you know, Daniel style versus Johnny style, even though it was a song written about a cold war ending boxing match. Um, so I'd been pitching it in, in one context or another for a while and was so happy that it made it through. And we actually got to use it for that moment. But I know that initially when we were just dreaming of like, you know, we, we had no idea what the sets would be like or what, you know, what production resources we would have for it. We had a whole like construction site where Johnny was doing a lot of his business and he was, it was a little bit like, you know, the um, Eagle Fang dojo, the, you know, the abandoned warehouse or whatever. It was kind of that vibe. And then I'm not too, too sure how it evolved, but, you know, the, the idea of um, him kicking the water, kicking the waves wasn't in the initial script, but I think they were down in, um, I want to say they were down in Jacksonville shooting some stuff at the end of season four for like Terry Silver's mansion and that. Yeah. And so I think they picked it off there, which is just such a fun, you know, flip of the, uh, the scene with um, Daniel doing the same in Karate Kid, like the first movie. So it's a lot of decisions like that, especially when it comes to montages, because it's such you're just kind of like on the run, go, 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 you know, because you don't want to spend half a day shooting a scene that's only going to be on screen for like three seconds until the next piece of the montage. So you kind of pick off what you can when you can. Um, and I don't know who came up with that, but you know, it, it was pretty great. And it also had, there were elements that were in the original script, like kicking the mailbox and, and um, bumping the guy off the scooter and stuff like that. So the original script, you, you, so you wrote the mailbox thing. I think so. I mean, it may have been that we had it in the room beforehand, but it was definitely in the, like the draft that, the last draft I saw, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John uh, apologized on your behalf, I, I believe. Uh, I don't know if you know, I'm a mail carrier, so I took a little exception to that to that <laughs> oh, moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I just I thought I didn't take it as a um, you know a personal attack on the U.S. Postal Service. I took it as a, a bit of a fuck you to the lady that is in that. Oh, scene. is that what it is, the lady? I mean, okay. I don't know why. I don't know if he knows her. I don't know if he just saw a target and went for it. But you know, it's like in Days and Confused when the kids uh, drive by the mailboxes with a baseball bat. It's right. just being a fuck, you know. Yeah, Part yeah. Language, but it's just oh being, no, being a dick yeah, yeah. For, for the sake of being a dick, which is a little bit of especially when he's amped up, that still lives in Johnny a little bit, I think. I think um, at Pilly Fest, uh, Billy mentioned a, a cut sequence from the um, the montage, which I completely forget uh, forgot to mention in, in our episode review. So I, I do get a chance to kind of bring it up again. Uh, apparently he does um, on the beach uh, uh, run past a few, like a couple of women that are like, you know, laying down sun t- sunbathing or whatever. Like yeah. he runs out of the frame to come back and to let them know oh, about like yeah. an upcoming fight or something like that. Do you, you remember writing that or? I, I did not, but I'm a hundred percent on board. If we can get that back in somehow. I mean, that's such a, I feel like that's, I can picture the movie that that I've seen that in and I just can't remember what it is, but that's such an eighties summer movie staple that it fits very well with Johnny's ethos. I think we'll have to find a way to bring that back somehow now that I, now that I'm aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when he, um, kind of like explained that that sequence like er, the entire audience laughed as you can imagine and we're kind of like oh man that would have been amazing but yeah. i guess that would have been the only sequence with an uh, actual dialogue and maybe that's why it's cut uh so that's perhaps oh, like right. a uh, I, I don't know the exact duties of the um like which editors but i know like spencer is is an editor and and zach is an editor uh so yeah that that would be an interesting question to ask one of them um, at one point at some point yeah i mean i i don't um i don't participate in the post-production process a whole whole lot but um 
you know, every episode is so dense. Like we always have a lot of plot. And so what I was saying earlier about things getting cut before you go to production, just because the resources or the time isn't available, that's one end of things. But of course, we still end up shooting, you know, enough footage to make every episode 45 minutes or whatever. So there's a there's another culling process that has to happen on the back end. And sometimes you, you know, you just you hate to lose certain things that you're in love with, but ultimately the choice will come down to in many cases, like, do we need it or not? Like, does it actually move the story forward or doesn't it? Um, so I don't know in that case in particular, but if, as you say, it had some dialogue to it, it may have just been like, well, here's a place we can cut 10 seconds. And it really, it literally does get to that point sometimes with a lot of shows that like iZombie was the same way where at a certain point, you're just trying to take out 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. You know, with a network show, obviously you have a hard target of whatever number of minutes you have to hit. But even with Netflix, like there's a limit to how much we can push the the half hour that we're supposed to be. Yeah, if if I can like send something to to, uh, to the internet for the powers that be, um, Back to the Future has this really cool thing where you can actually watch it, and there's like some sort of feature where they will include. I don't uh, delete scenes like uh, as you're watching along. Yeah. So maybe after like the show's end, we can get some kind of like ultimate badass Blu-ray edition yeah. with that option where you you're watching it. And then like a pop-up will come up and like, if you want to watch like an edited, like a deleted scene or whatever, you could do right. so. Like, I think that would be amazing. I'm a hundred percent in favor. I don't know who we talked to about that, but I can guarantee you that uh, all of my best and favorite lines and scenes have been cut. So I'm, I'm on no. board. Yeah. Do you do you have like a favorite one that you could share real quick from uh, this episode? Well, from 405, I know there was initially I think I'm okay to say this. There was initially a couple extra scenes as Johnny is trying to figure out what to do about this Daniel situation, you know, cuz his progression is a bit like gung-ho from the beginning, but then he starts to question it as the episode goes on and there were a few more like, you know, stones along that path. And one of them was a uh, a conversation with Rosa uh, in the kitchen. Like he comes over looking for um, Carmen, but she's at work and Rosa's there and sort of like senses, you know, something he needs to talk about something. Uh, that's probably all I should say, because we may at some point try and reincorporate something from that. But there was it's just a. You know, when you get to later seasons of a show, one of the little games that, uh, you know, you play is like, who who haven't we seen paired up yet? You know, and you try to think of new pairings that would be interesting and exciting and give a little more perspective into either character or both. And that, so that was one that I enjoyed a lot. And it also involved some drinking and some uh, inappropriate language. So <laughs> it, it checked all the boxes for me, you know. Yeah. And and I just, you know, I really enjoyed seeing Robbie and Tori uh, in season four and also Tori and Amanda. You know, um, I was gifted basically the screeners of season four and i got to write like a non-spoiler um season four review and that's mm -hmm. one of the things i mentioned like you know in season four we're gonna see people that we've never seen like share a screen with one another you know n never mind like returning legacy characters but um i thought that was one of my favorite things was yeah finally getting to see people uh, uh interact that ha has not yet seen each other i think in in our um review of four or five i even mentioned Dang, Daniel hasn't even seen like um, Bobby or Jimmy. So like he doesn't even know if they're better people or if they're still like Dutch, <laughs> right. you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, as we uh, get ready to wrap up, I have a few more sequences I, I kind of um, I'd like to get your thoughts on. 
Yeah. Let me get this one out of the way in the event that it, it takes up a little bit longer. Now, in your interview with uh, uh, with Robin, if I'm not mistaken, I believe um, something you mentioned that was like something that you know, I'm going to use the term loosely, but like kind of bothered you about Cobra Kai and the relationship between Daniel and Johnny. I think you were kind of like, oh, you know, I'm tired of like them, you know, fighting all the time, like just, right. you know. Get back together or whatever it is. Already. Just kiss. ironically, right? Yes, please. Yeah. Which I think I think uh, there's a a blooper where Ralph says something about kissing. Like I, oh yeah, I have to, yeah. But um, so ironically, in your episode, you write the breakup. Yeah. So yeah, uh, could I, you? I I don't remember what I said to Robin, but I do remember I said something to the same effect to the guys, uh, like one of my first days in the room, and then immediately was like, "You idiot, shut your mouth." But what I, I guess what I was feeling was the, what exactly what they wanted all of us to feel, which is like, just get over the hump. You guys would be so much better together than you are, you know, at each other's throat. Um, but you know, if, if by like season two or three, they'd gotten over all their shit, you know, first of all, you're undercutting one of the things that makes the show so great. You're changing the dynamic wholesale between, you know, two of the lead characters whose animosity is core to the entire thing. And I, I, you know, I understand why they, they teased us so much, you know, they get them so close to it and then pull the rug out by, you know, Johnny discovering that Daniel's been uh, senseiing Robbie. I don't know if sensei is a verb, but it Uh, is now. You made it a word. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, and, and stuff like that, where there is, they're so close. It's like a romantic comedy almost, you know, where these, Rachel. yeah, they keep getting it and keep getting in the way. Um, and so by the time we got to like season four, you know, it was part of the showrunners plan, I think from the get go. Oh, I forgot to mention, um, the big three has been sort of their nickname, which I refuse to use because I'm a basketball fan and it's got such a connotation in that world. And we have a basketball hoop outside one of our offices uh-huh. and they're, they're not basketball people. I can tell you for sure. Uh, <laughs> so now we've decided um, to call them the sandwich boys. So if you can spread that around, that would be great. That's their new nickname collectively, the sandwich boys. I, I will give it a shot. I can't promise right. it will stick because right. I, I was definitely given the credit of that, of, of the big three. During, uh, yeah, I during our season one. My uh, mouth then. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's quite all right. Um, <laughs> during our season one episode reviews, I got tired of saying, because I, I didn't know John, Josh and Hayden, right? Which now just roll off the tongue. Right. When I would refer to them, I was literally saying like uh, John Hurwitz, Hayden Schlossberg and Josh Heald. And I was like, you know, there's got to be like a better way. And I'm a basketball guy. Right. And so, so I, you know, the like, like you said, the big three is uh, is used very often in the basketball world, and so I, so I referred right. to them as the big three. My co-host at the time was like, you know, I like that, and yeah. um, and when John, Josh, and Hayden came on for the very first time, they wanted to do. I had this idea for this intro, which hindsight was like really cheesy and kind of cringy now that I think about it, but <laughs> they had another idea. They wanted to clarify who was the big three, because I was also kind of casually calling uh, Marty, Billy and Ralph, like another uh-huh. three, you know? Right. And so they wanted to clarify that they're the big three. And I think it, it might've been Hayden in the intro says like, well, the, the super three or, or something like that. Like they were trying to like, no, they are the three uh, of, of any type of that trio. So right. I'll try it. The sandwich boys. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll definitely tweet it out today and, and we'll see what roll, they think. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? The sandwich boys. Okay. All right, yeah. let's see. Let's see. Um, now, th- some of the other sequences uh, in, in in this one, we have um, 
the uh, the ta- the tattoo shop, right? So um, so Hawk goes to go see Rico. I am curious to to uh, I, I don't know if there's an answer, but I don't know where Rico is. Did he go? You know, go on his uh, off to, on a smoke break, and then Cobra Kai beat him up because like he's not part of karate, so that's okay, and that's off limits yeah. kind of thing. But but Hawk's left alone, and can you talk about like um that sequence? You know, because yeah. like. I think a lot of us kind of knew something was coming with the Mohawk. Like, I, I think it was just, it, it was like, it was uh, teed up for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been there for the taking. I think, I think since he got it, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Just a target for somebody to like Samson, take his power away. Um, and we did initially have more beats in that whole escapade, you know, where they were sneaking in and all this stuff. Um, ultimately again, you know, cut for time because it wasn't super essential. The thing that really mattered in that scene was, you know, what you see on the screen. Uh, as far as Rico goes, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I think in my, in my mind, in my imagination, I think Rico's tattoo shop is a front and he's up to some real nefarious shit, you know, otherwise, and somehow um, Kyler is involved in that in some way because he seems like a guy who would, you know, dip his toes in those waters. And through that underworld connection, um, they were able to buy Rico off. And that's why he, he wasn't there to protect Hawk, even though Hawk is clearly his best underage customer. So if, if Kyler's involved, it has to do something with, with shoes, I would imagine. Could be, or maybe they just, they grabbed Rico and I'm, I'm totally off base and Kyler just threatened to have his dad shit in his mouth. If he didn't, that, that could be it. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. E- either that, or maybe he asked Bert to shit in like Rico's, was, was it tuba or something? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I believe that's a joke <laughs> that's, too. That's Rico's day job. He's a tuba player. <laughs> uh, now there, there's a, um, oh, so, so yeah, one of the other sequences. And now this is, I, I want to give credit to Jeremy of the Cobra guys uh, in our review. He pointed out something that I can, it went completely over my head and uh, maybe you could shed some light on this, but uh, there's a sequence where uh, Sam has to talk with Daniel. They're they're at home and they're talking about the, the breakup and the upcoming match. Miguel and Johnny has a similar thing. Was there like a um, an idea to kind of, in in the way that the students speak to you know the sensei, um, which in in this case Sam is like with with her dad, obviously, was there like a like um, a discussion of like okay, well Sam will talk to him in a way that like a me uh, an eagle fang student would talk, and and Miguel is now like kind of more reserved and um, you know, I guess maybe not passive aggressive, but like uh, he doesn't want to talk about this fight and just wishes Johnny luck. You know, like I I don't think that's like would have been their um, their character traits. I, I guess like in previous seasons, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was always a big part of the guy's intention, the Sandwich Boys' intention of. Um, <laughs> how the breakup would come about, you know, that uh, they got past the sort of surface level differences that we've known about forever. But the thing that they couldn't quite get past is seeing, you know, Johnny seeing his sort of proxy son um, get a new dad and, and Daniel starting to see Sam exhibit some of the traits, uh, you know, of Eagle Fang slash Johnny when she had been his number one, you know, mini, mini Miyagi-Do-Mi, uh, you know, since since she was eight years old or whatever. Um, 
so that was the the idea of seeing those sort of like parallel comparisons was definitely always the intent. Um, and like I said, it's that that was that whole season long arc was um, you know in large part mapped out before we convened as a group. So that's just the guys understanding what the big picture storytelling needed to be for that season. Uh, and then, you know, fleshing out certain details was where the rest of us kind of came in. So, you know, things like Sam flicking the bottle cap, you know, with somebody's pitch in the room and stuff like that, just to like put an exclamation point on that exchange. By the way, I want to try that again. I got my cat back. Hang on. All right. Here we go. Years. Take take two. There we go. I don't know if the camera caught that, but where Emily it went somewhere. I was about, that would have hit her in the face. So I'm proud of myself. Uh, and the, the last thing I kind of want to talk about, we talk about the, uh, the 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 breakup between Johnny and Daniel. Um, Crease and Silver, uh, they go out to dinner themselves, and this is um, possibly the kind of like the beginning of the cracks of their kind of partnership. Yeah, uh, can you talk about the 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 dinner scene between them? Yeah, I'm trying to remember, um, you know, the the room discussion about it. I know that after the uh, initial draft went in, there was some changes there, which um, I think fleshed out the, you know, the dynamic of their relationship a little bit more. But I, I always sort of saw it as it's a little bit like Daniel taking Johnny to one of his bars in, in their opening scene, um, where, you know, the power dynamic at first in season four is like, this is Crease's show. And he's the former, you know, superior officer uh, to uh, to Silver from back in their army days. And he's kind of playing on that whole thing. You know, it's like a big brother sort of relationship. And when Silver says to the waitress, like, you know, we'll take whatever bottles more expensive than anyone else here can afford, including Crease. I think it is a bit of a like, you know, it's we're not in the army anymore, John. Like, I, I'm the one who's successful in life. And I'm going to show that by example here in a context in which maybe the, the ground will be tilled for you to actually listen to me, um, you know, for a change. And I do think that Silver is, you know, as much, if not more so, uh, a master of manipulation as Crease is. I mean, it's like the student kind of surpassing the teacher in a way, because Crease is obviously, you know, top of that category as well but silver's learned everything from crease throughout their history together but also uh implemented it in the rest of his life in a way that gives him all these resources and power and crease clearly when we meet him in season two you know has not been able to to do much for himself um in terms of building up that kind of a life so I always viewed it as a bit of a, a power move for Silver to bring him to this fancy restaurant and to correct his drink order and that sort of stuff. And it, it does feel like because the way Daniel spoke to him earlier in the episode maybe flipped a bit of a switch. This is like early, you know, uh, preemptive phase one of Silver, you know, becoming Silver again. Yeah. And that led to the, the line of calling him an arrogant prick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from well, Silver, Silver's point of view, that's not totally unfounded. No, no. Um, I, I think, I mean, uh, Cobra Kai Daniel uh, is definitely a dick, you know. Um, right. You know, he, it's, it's, it's the money, you know. Yeah, <laughs> anybody with money uh, on, on the show um, is, uh, is not very nice. 
So I'll, yeah. I'll say I'll say that much. Yeah. But um, yeah, Bob, yeah, thank you so much for uh, you know kind of giving us your story and talking about you know the, I I didn't even think about those episodes from uh, season three, so I'm glad that we were able to touch up on some of that. And I uh, would definitely love you uh, for you to come back to talk about the uh, the rise, the uh, you know season finale of season four, hopefully before season five comes out. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Uh, I know that you're not very active on social, but is that something you, you want to give out? And if people want to follow you, I don't know if you're going to I mean, pick I'm, it up. Uh, or Yeah, I, I tend to keep that pretty close and, and don't engage a whole lot. So I don't know if it's worthwhile for anyone. But uh, I think, you know, um, listening to me on this podcast is is going to be a treat for all of uh, your fans and fans of Cobra Kai. And that's probably, you know, that's uh, it's enough of Bob Dearden for for the moment. There it is, and and also this is going to be the uh, the episode that um, has everyone uh, in the world calling TV three, you know, the Sandwich Boys. So <laughs> yeah, we're going to send that out to the internet. I'm, there, I'm so excited for the the fallout from that. <laughs> yeah, by season five, there we go, Sandwich Boys. All right, for me, you guys can find me on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod or on Instagram at Cobra Kai Companion. Companion spelled with a K. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next time. Haven't you done enough, princess?